Well, good evening, everybody, and good evening to those of you who are joining us online. <clears throat> I'm Charlie, I'm the pastor here, and it's good to be together. Today is the first Sunday in Advent, and what that means is it's the first Sunday, excuse me for a moment, in a really special season in the historic calendar of the church. Uh, Advent is the first section, the very beginning of what the church has historically thought as the ministry year, or the, 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 the first section in the year's order of worship. So today we're kicking off a new year for our church, uh, and churches all over the world are thinking of and considering today a, a new start. And in many ways, that's the meaning of Advent. It's a new beginning. It's a new start. It's a new missionary season for our church. But Advent has kind of a double meaning. That's one side. But the other side is that this is a season of waiting. Waiting and looking forward to Christ's return. One of the things that we believe that we say in the Apostles' Creed almost every week, that he's coming again. And Advent is a season leading up to Christmas where we look forward to his second coming. One of the ways we do that is by remembering his first coming when he came as a baby and was born on that first Christmas. So today is a special day uh, in the year of churches all over the world. If you have your Bible, open it to Genesis chapter 20 or your Bible app or your worship guide works great. We have been in a series, a long series, called Abraham's God, where we have been going through Abraham's life in Genesis, episode by episode, and every week asking, who is Abraham's God in this passage? Who does God show himself to be? Abraham is the father of all who believe, and his God is the God we believe in. We're moving along in his life, and we're coming... Uh, close to the end of his story. This particular section of Abraham's life is all about what it means to live under God's covenant of grace. And today, in chapter 20, we learn a valuable lesson uh, about what it means to live under God's covenant of grace. So let's open it, and let's read it together, and then I'd like to show you some things. Uh, as is our uh, new custom. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh, Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She's my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman who you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And did she herself and she herself said, He is my brother, in the integrity of my heart, 
and in the innocence of my hands I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told, him, told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness that you must do to me, and every place in which we come say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver, and it's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, that, that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech, because Sarah, Abraham's wife. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Okay, now, if you have been tracking with us through this series... Um, then we read this story. If you've been, re if you've read Abraham's story, by the time you get to this place, you read this, and you think, "Oh, we have been here before, <laughs> right?" Uh, if you guys remember, way back at the beginning of Abraham's story, back in Genesis 12, first part of Genesis 12, God calls Abraham out of Babylonia and into Canaan, and then there's a famine. Abraham goes down to Egypt, and what does he do in Egypt? He says, I'm afraid. My wife is very beautiful. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is going to kill me because he wants my wife. Uh, so let's tell everybody, Sarah, that you're my sister. And they did that. And what happened? Pharaoh says, oh, she's your sister. She's available. He takes her into his household. In Genesis 12, it says that he took her as a wife. And there's the, there's innuendo there that we should pick up. And then, which is different than this story, Abimelech took her but did not touch her. Uh, but in Genesis 12, it was a horrible, horrible thing. God rescued Sarah out of Pharaoh's house. Ironically, Abraham and Sarah ended up basically plundering Egypt on their way out. And it was maybe... I would argue, as we read Abraham's story, that's, that's like the worst thing he's ever done. That's his fall, 
if you will. Uh, every, every good story has the time when the hero takes a fall, and that's his. What he did to Sarah was horrible, putting her in harm's way. And we've talked, we've referenced back to this several times. And yes, God uh, rescued Sarah, uh, but she, their relationship was never the same again. And as we read Abraham's story, we see that there, there is tension between he and Sarah. And I believe that what he did to her back in Egypt is part of it. Well, we read this, and here he does it again, one more time. And we even learn more in this story that this probably didn't just happen twice. It just so happened to be that she was his half-sister, and so it was a half-truth to say that she's my sister, but I think many of us know, and if you don't know, you should know this, uh, if you tell half of the truth in order to cover up the other half, that's called a lie. Uh, so Abraham, he, why? deja vu. He keeps making this, it's, I don't even want to call it a mistake, because it comes with real injustice against his wife. He keeps committing this sin. Why the deja vu? Um, when I was in the ninth grade, a movie came out called The Matrix, and it rocked the world. And after The Matrix came out in 1999, uh, those of you who grew up in church like me might remember it, thousands and thousands and thousands of sermon illustrations for years and years uh, came from the movie The Matrix because there's so much uh, spiritual uh, uh, imagery in the movie. So I, I try not to use The Matrix or Braveheart, uh, either one of those in sermon illustration because they're way overused. But in this case, I'm going to break my rule. If you've seen The Matrix, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin part of it for you, but it's, it's been since 1999. You've had plenty of time. Uh, in The Matrix, once when, when Neo and, and his friends, they leave the Oracle's place, uh, they, you know, they've visited the Oracle, and they leave the place, and they're walking along, and Neo sees, he has deja vu. He sees a black cat cross and shake, and then cross and shake, and he, he goes, whoa, you know, Keanu Reeves, whoa, deja vu. And everybody on his team is like, what? Stop. Everybody stop. Like, tell us what happened. He's like, it's, you know, deja vu. And they're like, no, 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 no. Deja vu is important. It means something. It's a glitch in the matrix. That means, you know, the bad guys have rewritten something into the story. Everybody stop. Let's, we need to know what it is. Of course, this is paraphrased, and they're better actors than I am. And, and they start looking around, and they see that all the exits to the building were have been closed off, and that's when the bad guys come and attack, right? But the big idea, that illustration, is that in the matrix, when somebody has deja vu, it's everybody stop. Pay attention to this. Something is going on. And it just so happens that in the Bible, when we see things like this repeated, stories repeated with different people in different times, uh, particular sins that, especially ones that have been called out before, repeated and repeated, that signals us as readers, everybody stop. Pay attention to this. Now, some commentators, I've read enough in the last couple of weeks, they, they take this story and they go, oh, this story is just like the Genesis 12 Egypt story. They both have the same meaning. No, 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 no. In the Bible, when we see these deja vu moments, 
It's like signals us, pay attention. There's something here for right now for you. So what is the deja vu meaning of this story? Why the repetition? A Abraham, we see here, he probably, they probably pulled this con, this stunt, this injustice to Sarah numerous times. When, when I left my home, when God called us out of our home, I told Sarah everywhere we go, say you're my sister, because that'll be good for me. He's done this numerous times. Well, why are we reading about it now? This repetition of this episode is evidence of something. That it's evidence of the fact that Abraham, at this point, late in his life, within a year before his, you know, his elect covenant child, Isaac, will be born, he's still not grasping. He still doesn't get God's call on his life. Even here, near the end of his time, and even here in the beginning of a new season of ministry for Abraham, he moved to a whole new region. He's still not grasping the old promise that God had given him in the beginning. Genesis 12, that's where the Pharaoh thing happened. That is the chapter this story is supposed to make us think about, but not that part. When we read this story, we should, in our minds, go all the way back to the beginning of Genesis 12, the beginning of Abraham's story, when God put a call on his life, when God gave him a mission, when God gave him something to do that Abraham clearly is still not grasping. At the beginning of Abraham's story, Genesis 12, 1 through 10, do you remember what God told Abraham that his life would be all about. God called him out of Babylonia, and he said uh, he's going to give him land and offspring, and then he said these words. Verse 2, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you, Abraham, will be a blessing. And he goes on to say, God says to Abraham, all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to make your name great for the purpose of every family in the world being blessed through you. Later in Abraham's life, God renews the promises he made, land, offspring, all that stuff, but also renews the call. Abraham, all nations in the world should be blessed in you. And then later in the story, near, almost near his death, we read it again. Abraham, all nations, all families in the world will be blessed through you. Here's the point. God had called Abraham from the beginning of his relationship with him to live as a faithful witness, to live as a blessing for all peoples, faithful witness to who God is for the whole world, 
Every family, every tribe, every clan, every nation, every people group, every language. That's what God wants to do through Abraham. So Abraham journeying along in his story, we see God either doubling down on that call through promises and a covenant, or we see God calling Abraham to faithfulness. Now in this story, thus far, pretty much Abraham has spent most of his time in the promised land by the Oaks of Mamre near the Jordan Valley. But now here, Within a year of his promised son to be born, he travels across the land to the Negev in the region of Gerar to the land of the Philistines. Now, early readers, when they read this, read about Abimelech, king of the Philistines. That would trigger something in their minds because the Philistines were a people group that lived close to or in the promised land for generations while Israel was there. You might remember stories of King David battling the Philistines, King Saul battling the Philistines. The Philistines were the enemies of God's people that lived in their land. And here we see the father of all who believe, the, the father of, of uh, the, the nation of Israel, um, called out to be a blessing to the world. And here he moves and settles in the land of the Philistines. And the promise, the call, the purpose in his life had not changed. Okay. I think you got that, right? I'm getting caught up in some details here. So why was Abraham not grasping this? Why did he keep returning to this, it's dumb, this stupid old lie that put his wife in danger, that made him look like an idiot, and that really, it was like trying to block the way for God to do what he was trying to do in his life. Abraham goes in immediately into this land with these people that he's supposed to be a blessing to and goes on the defense. Why is he doing this? Why have we been here over the last, uh, I don't know, since August? August, September, October, November. Four months reading story after story of Abraham making terrible decisions because he keeps forgetting what God's call is on his life. What's going on? Well, in this passage, we get an answer. Look at verse 10. Well, let's go to verse 9. Abimelech, he called Abraham in and he said, what have you done to us? Have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom of great sin? You've done to me things that ought not to have been done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing, that you told this lie? And Abraham said, Here's the answer. I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Why was Abraham not grasping God's call in his life? Why was he making mistake after mistake after mistake, fumbling the mission God had given him? Why was he being such an idiot? Well, I did this because I thought. 
I thought there was no fear of God in this place, this land of Canaan, this land of Hebron, this land of Gerar. There's two reasons we see in this story that Abraham was acting so terribly while he kept repeating the same sins. The first is self-centeredness. Because I thought, I thought that they'll kill me because of my wife. My wife's a pretty lady. Obviously, everybody wants her. Everybody's going to kill me if they find out. I thought, my own judgment, made, I made a judgment call. Who did Abraham consult on the matter of his own safety in Gerar himself? Who was Abraham consulting about the, the safety and well-being and dignity of his wife? Himself. Who was Abraham consulting about uh, what God's doing in this land with his promise himself? Abraham is acting like a self-centered fool. And this is not a surprise. We've read for months about Abraham acting like a self-centered fool. But his self-centeredness, not only did he fail to be a blessing to these people in Gerar and this king Abimelech, he put Abimelech in danger of being killed by God. God had uh, made all of the women in the land of Gerar infertile because of Abraham's sin, not to mention the fact that Sarah, once again, was completely disgraced by her husband. Self-centeredness, the sin of self-centeredness, doesn't just bring consequences down on our own heads. It hurts people around us. And very often it hurts people we haven't even met yet. We, we don't know the consequences of our sin. Ultimately, self-centeredness is a refusal to believe God. It's believing our own words, our own thoughts above God's word and God's thoughts. God had given Abraham a mission. You are going to be a blessing. You are about other people. And Abraham goes through life, I'm about me. <laughs> So why does he keep making these same these mistakes? Number one, self-centeredness. And number two, short-sightedness. Short-sightedness. Abimelech says, why would you do this horrible thing? And Abraham says, uh, I thought there was no fear of God in this place. That's a, that's a short-sighted statement. He thought he knew the whole story about what God was doing in the world. Abraham thought he had the big picture about where God was, where God was working, uh, who knows God, who, is, who fears God. And he decided, that, um, he, he decided that he understood the big plan. But we see in this story that Abraham's fear, that there was no fear of God, no regard for who God is, no regard for the fact that this God of Abraham might be the God of all nations, Abraham judged that that wasn't the case because he didn't see the big picture. He was blinded. He was short-sighted. There is fear of God in Gerar. God has already been doing things there. We see in this story alone, God came to Abimelech in a dream, and Abimelech knew who God was. And he expected God to do the right thing. Abimelech knew this wasn't one of the pagan tribal gods that we have to sort of manipulate and trick into doing the right thing. This God 
will do the right. How could you kill off the righteous? That's, that's not who you are. We also see that Abimelech, this pagan king that Abraham said, there's no fear of God in this place. Abimelech was concerned with his own righteousness. He wanted to do the right thing. He was concerned with maintaining integrity in his heart. We see that God was actively at work in restraining evil in Abimelech's house. God said, because of me, I kept you from sinning. We saw that Abimelech's household was afraid of what God might do. They knew that God was powerful. And we see that Abimelech, a pagan king, rightly rebukes Abraham, the man of God, because of Abraham's sin. Was there fear of God in Gerar? Absolutely. But Abraham, self-centered and short-sighted, misses it. And he goes back to his own old ways of trying to manipulate situations, preserve his family, maintain control, and be the kind of Abraham he wanted to be, not the kind of Abraham God wanted him to be. But the beauty of this story, so far it's been pretty much a downer. There's beauty here. Notice that what Abraham fumbles, God accomplishes anyway. God intervened. He caused Abimelech and Abraham to know the truth. He blessed Abimelech by speaking to him, giving him an opportunity to make things right, and leading him in an act of goodness. And even in Abimelech's failure, or sorry, even in Abraham's failure, God gives him an opportunity to be the prophetic witness that he was called to be. Even though Abraham had blown it, he tells Abimelech, go to Abraham, he's a prophet, he will pray for you, and all will be well. In the end, Abraham still played that mediating blessing role. And it's not because he did everything right. It's because when God put a call on his life that couldn't be changed, what Abraham fumbled, God accomplished. Okay, let's wrap this up. What does this have to do with us? Well, God has placed a call, a mission, a commissioning on our little church to be faithful witnesses to who he is, not just as our God, but as a God for all people, all nations. God has called us to be a blessing in the places we live. But we so often, like so many, uh, lose sight and forget. We're short-sighted. And we're self-centered. And we look out at our city of Portland. Kurt, I love what you prayed earlier. This is what's on my heart this week, too. We look out on our city that we love so dearly. And I know that I catch myself 
looking at, uh, the, it is one of the most unchurched cities demographically in the country. Think about that. I think about our houselessness crisis, crisis with widespread drug abuse, sex trafficking, uh, the fact that our city seems to take pride in so much immorality, the fact that our city is very often self-righteous and calling out injustice one place and overlooking it in another place, the fact that our city has a, a gross, terrible, and covered-up history of racism, the fact that our city uh, loves to encourage political extremism on, on, on just about any issue on any side, and I catch myself looking out and going, Portland? Oh, there's no fear of God in this place. But you know, like in Gerar, like in the land of the Philistines, God is at work in this city. He is at work in Portland, restraining evil, making himself known to people, holding people accountable, holding his people accountable, cultivating life, and causing the truth that Jesus Christ, Abraham's son, is a blessing for all nations, all peoples, no matter where you come from, no matter what language you speak, no matter who you identify with. Jesus Christ, is the, the, the blessing for the whole world, is for you. He came once for you. He's coming again for you. His blessing, O oh Portland, O oh people of Portland, people on the right, people on the left, people with uh, uh, who would identify this way or identify this way, people with different value systems, people with different political affiliations, people who own homes, people who are stuck in a cycle of renting, people who are stuck in a cycle of houselessness, all people everywhere, Portland, O oh city, Jesus Christ is for you. He's the blessing to the whole world. One day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, he himself uh, will stand and be glorified by every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Just like on the day when he was lifted up, when he was killed, to draw all people to himself. And hope, church, that's the big picture. But we get so caught in our own short-sightedness, just like Abraham. And when we get short-sighted, we lose the big picture. We start to get caught up in those same sins, whatever they may be for you or for me or for our church. It's so easy to turn inward and miss out on what God is calling us to do. So Abraham, all of this happened at the beginning of a new season in his ministry right after a move to Gerar. Now we ourselves are in a new season in our ministry. You have a new pastor. Uh, here pretty soon we're gonna put together a team to try to find a new location. Uh, we have lots of things before us. We're in the season of Advent, which is the season of newness. Don't lose sight of God's call on our life to be faithful witnesses that the God of all nations has blessed the world and continues to bless the world and will bless the world again in Jesus, Abraham's great son. Don't lose sight of it. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, um, thank you for this story as part of Abraham's life. Thank you that thank you that we can read our Bibles and hear from you. Lord, I want to pray for our church. God, I pray that you would help us in this new season, this season of Advent and this new season for our church to be centered on Christ, not on ourselves, and to be focused on Christ, not on ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to all the places where you are actively at work in Portland, the greater Portland area. Show us the places where you are confronting and restraining evil so that we can join you. Show us the places where you are causing people to ask questions about Jesus so that we could be there to, like Kurt prayed, respectfully but boldly share how wonderful Jesus is with our neighbors. Show us the places where we can stand against injustice in the name of Jesus. Show us the places where we can invite folks into real, authentic friendship so that they might know the love of Jesus working in us. Show us what you're doing. Lord, I pray that you would take us, as we look for a new location here pretty soon, to a place where we can have long, uh, where we can settle in and be good neighbors, and where we can be a faithful presence bearing witness to who you are. Lord, I pray that you would keep us from our habitual, short-sighted, self-centered sins. Lord, I pray, just like you did with Abraham, that whatever it is that you want to accomplish through us, don't let us get in the way. Lord, our hope is in you. We're looking to you. Would you bless us so that we can communicate your blessing for the whole world to others? In Jesus' name, amen.